Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. First of all, I'd like to say a word of thanks to you, to our listeners, for making us one of the top 10% most listened to podcasts in the world. We really appreciate your support, and we're glad that you enjoy the show. Before we dive into today's interview, I just wanted to remind you that we have our upcoming fiction-intensive virtual conference on November 5 through 6. If you're a writer of short stories, screenplays, novels, all of the narrative principles we'll be sharing and teaching will be beneficial for you and will help elevate your storytelling. Again, it's virtual, so no matter where you live in the world, you can join us. We have a stellar faculty, world-class speakers. Tickets are still available at fictionintensive.com. Check it out and register today. My guest today, Neil Marshall Stevens, has been working in the entertainment industry for over three decades writing, producing, and working as a story editor for more than 50 produced motion pictures. He's also worked on several recent web series, including Trophy Heads and Ravenwolf Towers. His screenplay, Debtor, was produced by Dimension Pictures as Hellraiser Debtor, and he wrote the screenplay for Dark Castle's remake of 13 Ghosts. In addition to his work as a screenwriter, Neil has been teaching for the last eight years for Script University and works as an associate professor in graduate level screenwriting courses. He has a new book that will be coming out this spring called A Sense of Dread, Getting Under the Skin of Horror Screenwriting. And he joins me today here on the Story Blender. Neil, thanks for taking the time to be here. Thank you very much, Stephen. I am happy to be here. Well, I was thrilled that uh, you could make it, especially on this uh, special weekend where we're looking at scary stories here with uh, Halloween coming up in just a couple of days. And as we were, I was thinking of growing up as a kid and listening to campfire stories. My uncle would tell us stories and we would always beg him, Uncle Rich, Uncle Rich, tell us a scary story, right? And he'd say, okay, I'll tell you. And then my brother and I one time um, would go to him and say, Uncle Rich, tell us the scariest story you know. No, no, I can't do that. He'd say, your mama's going to get on my case. No, no, please tell it to his scariest one you know. No, your mama won't like it. And then finally he said, all right, look, I'll tell it to you as long as you promise you're not going to wet your, we won't bet our beds. We promise we won't bet our beds. Tell us the scary story you know. So I have always loved stories that uh, kind of, send a chill down your back and uh, bring the goosebumps to your arms. So, so I'm thrilled that you're here to give us a little bit of an insight on stories that will um, bring us a sense of dread. Um, first of all, you've, you've had great experience over the many years, over the last few decades working in Hollywood. I was wondering if you have any, um, uh, any movies that you've seen or maybe worked on that you're like, that was one of the scariest things that I've ever seen? I mean, well, I, I think that there are certainly both in classic movies and, and, and recent movies, certainly there are a whole crop of recent movies that I think are, are really 
excellent horror films mm. just in, in the last 10 years. The Conjuring, the original mm. one, the sequels are, are variable qualities, but the original Conjuring, James Wan's movie, is just excellent. Um, you have a movie like, like Jennifer Kent's The Babadook. Yeah. It's like, wow, that was, was just superb. It follows. It's a fantastically scary movie. Just a great idea and just, just executed really well. Um, and, and just The Witch, mm. just a fantastically good movie. Um, Hereditary also just just really terrifying yeah that was a troubling uh, movie i saw and, and just i've just, seen most you know, of those you mentioned yeah and, which is really and and disturbing movie mm-hmm. too um and and i think part of what works with us is that they really that that quality of being disturbing hmm. um it is 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 what i mean when i talk about this sense of dread this sense of uh of the things that we know and are familiar with the, our sense of how the world works and how the world is supposed to be being undermined and penetrated Hmm. by this sense of the abnormal and the unnatural. Hmm. And, and that's, that's the kind of thing that really leaves its mark on our, on our memory. It's the kind of thing that we, those are the things that we watch as children that stay with us that kind of leave their mark on our subconscious so that we, we remember those things 50 years later, the stuff that we see that give us nightmares as kids and, and movies that we watch as adults and they still give us nightmares um, because they've touched something. When you mention that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of crawling under your skin or whatever. I, it made me think of when I was a kid and I saw a movie, boy, I don't know what movie it was, but it had Bigfoot in it. Okay. And um, something, there was this one scene where actually this family had gone into the woods. Bigfoot has followed them back home and they get to the house. Basically they're watching television and the camera kind of pans over. So you, you can see, that behind them there's a window they don't see it but bigfoot walks across behind them on the way to attack them in the house or something that terrified me when i was a kid i remember seeing that i would lay in bed at my house staring at the window certain that bigfoot was going to walk across my window somehow he had tracked me down as well so you're right some of these just I mean, it wasn't a gruesome moment or super disturbing or anything, but it was one of those where kind of the place you feel safest is your home. And of course. yeah. And so it yeah. made me uh, and afraid. So you always, those, those inviolate places, when those things are penetrated or threatened, we react with that sense of dread. Mm. So you have an entire subgenre of home invasion movies always always is effective because the home is a sacred Mm. safe place our bedrooms the bathroom the shower all of those places we think of them as safe spaces as sacred spaces when someone penetrates those spaces it's terrifying bed the bed when we're when we're having sex when we're naked 
we expect to be safe and protected in those environments. So when we are, when that is intruded upon, it's immediately terrifying. So yeah, all yeah. of all of that whole set of of environments and situations, um, we we feel immediately violated whenever that happens. And always, what always works, we always have you know those things show up perennially in scary movies. Makes me think of my first novel came out called The Pawn. Anyway, there's a scene in The Pawn where this um, this killer invades someone's house, comes into their house while she's asleep, and he goes and actually just steals a hairbrush from her uh, bureau or whatever it is. And then as he's leaving, he goes in the children's room, and you're like, no, he's going to do something. And he just puts the teddy bear back into the child's arms who's sleeping and he leaves the house. Then it seems sort of like, why is that so terrifying? But people have told me that's one of the most terrifying um, scenes in the whole, in the whole book. And just this guy, because I think of what you just said, where we, we feel like we should be safest and our kids should be safest. And that was, um, that was broken whenever he, he did that. Of, of course, it's sort of like home should be safe. Bedrooms should be safe. And of course our children should be safe. Yep. Yeah. And so anything, anything that crosses those lines immediately presses that, that button and creates that sense of dread, that deep sense of unease, that, that creepiness, that sense of it's not right, that doesn't belong here. And I think that, you know, looking through, I was able to get an advanced copy of your book, A Sense of Dread. And, you know, looking through it, one of the things... I noticed is that some types of fear you point out are kind of natural or biological or, or everyone tends to have those. And other ones tend to be learned uh, fears that we might have. Could you talk us through that a little bit and how that might apply if we were telling or writing stories uh, where we want to touch on that with our readers or viewers? Well, it, it, it's I think we don't necessarily sort them out. But there are definitely certain kinds of fears that are innate. Mm -hmm. um, and, and one of those things, uh, you're familiar with Temple Grandin. The, uh, uh, they made a movie about her. She's a high-functioning autist, uh, autistic woman um, who has written a number of books about uh, her experiences working with animals. Um, and she wrote a book called Animals in Translation, where she studied um, fear reactions in animals and how some of that's related to human fears as well. Um, first of all, she talked about the startle reflex, which you've seen in a million movies where <laughs> we, we, you know, sharp noises, sudden reactions, someone coming up behind you and touching anything like that, as true for animals you know, certainly for mammals as it is for human beings. I mean, anyone who's on a cat knows you can creep up behind a cat and jab <laughs> it and it'll jump up. Well, so same, same thing with human beings. We'll do the same thing. And lots of movies take advantage of, of that startle reflex, that yep. jump, like loud noise will make people jump. Sudden hand reaching in from out of frame will make people jump. You can... You've seen that a thousand times in any kind. Sure, the jump, the jump scare. Jump, jump scare, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, great on film very hard to i mean it works effectively on screen hmm. you can put it in a script 
but you're not going to jump when you read it on the script. You, you it, it has to sort of, it references something that will happen on screen, hmm. but you won't read, you can't read a jump scare <laughs> and jump. So you have to, if that's all you're working with on in your script, you're, you're, it's going to be, yeah. it's not going to, it's not going to make the reader jump in quite the same way. I mean, there, you can have a surprise scare and people will react to some extent, but it's never going to be quite the same. But and it's yeah, it's interesting yeah. that our nightmares tend to be um, kind of terrifying all over the world. The being chased in a nightmare, falling, yeah. and the one that always interests me is the idea of showing up late is a nightmare. Yes, like yeah. that you're a, you know you wake up and you're like. I thought it was late for class or yeah. you missed yeah. the a, class or something. The I, final yeah. exam. I've always wondered. It's like, what, what the Aboriginal uh, cultures, know. what is, is it like they're late for the hunt? I don't, you know, it's like, I, I, I don't, where's, where, where's the, where, where are my guys? I don't know where I am. I'm just wandering <laughs> through the woods. It's, I can't find them. I mean, I, I suspect that they, there must, there must be a, a more, you know, a tribal equivalent to those kinds of anxiety, hmm. late, late for class, late for, you know, I didn't study, I'm, I'm unprepared. I mean, all of all of those kind of anxiety dreams there, there has to, it, because it seems to be so universal. It does. Yeah. Huh. You know, I, I suspect that there must be an equivalent in, 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 in every kind of society. Different cultures. Um, so, yeah. And, and, and of course, those those fearful dreams very much work work their way into into movies this sense of being lost of not of just you know and it, there was um an italian horror film it may have been directed by mario bava honestly i can't remember it about a woman who wanders away i think from her tour group hmm. doesn't speak italian doesn't speak the language and just gets lost in broad daylight in the streets of this old city and cannot find her way back to where she was. Hmm. And it's just deeply disturbing. And I wish I could remember hmm. what the heck the movie was, but it's super effective scene. Um, but also getting back to uh, Temple Grandin. Oh yeah. She, she, she's, she was talking about uh, an experiment that she did with uh cows grazing in a field where she just hung a yellow raincoat on a fence and what cows do when when something ambiguous enters into their uh into the realm of their observation is like they can't just ignore it because they don't know what it is <laughs> could be could be you know you know and they can't just run away because they can't just run away from everything even though they're they're basically rather timid so what they will do is they will very very cautiously approach it hmm. you know all their senses on edge because if it were to suddenly do something then they would run they move up to it very cautiously they'll sniff it they'll taste it and if they realize it's nothing interesting you can't eat it <laughs> uh, you can't you can't mate with it it's just it's just nothing then they go back to doing what they do which is just eating grass and this is what she refers to as being curiously afraid huh. that is it's what animals do when something ambiguous enters into their environment they can't just ignore it because if it's dangerous they got to run if it's useful then they need to you know then they can make advantage of it this is something that we've seen in hundreds of horror movies. This is the instinct that leads people down 
the darkened alley, down the, the darkened flight of stairs, down the long corridor where we're saying, no, no, just run away. But you know, you can't run away. Huh. You have to go down that hallway. You have to go down those stairs. You have to go down that darkened alley. You have to resolve that sense of ambiguity hmm. to figure out what's down there to make it. Is it safe? Is it dangerous? Is it something? Is it nothing? That's the sense of being curiously afraid. All of our senses are on edge and the person who's actually going down the hall or down the stairs, their senses are all on edge, but they can't just say, ah, screw it. I'm just going to go back up the stairs and forget about it because you don't know. Maybe there's something really dangerous down there and you can't just leave it alone. You have to figure it out. You have to find out what it is. So even as we're saying, no, you idiot, don't go down there. <laughs> We we need them to go down there and we want them to go down there and we follow them as they go down that hall, whatever may be down there, whether they end up getting killed or whether they end up in danger or whether it turns out it's nothing. Hmm. This is this is a, a deeply inbuilt urge to resolve this business of being curiously afraid. Hmm. Yeah, I've never heard that before. And, uh, you know, as a writer, it's interesting for me that we want to get readers or viewers, if you're uh, working in film, to actually uh, be, um, I don't know how to say, like the actions of the character need to remain believable. Like if they're doing stuff where we're like, I don't buy it, they would never do that. Yeah. Then immediately we're you know out of the story. So how do you actually do it so that it remains believable, but it puts them in those situations where, you're like, yes, yes, it makes sense that he would do that, but I don't want him to. Don't go down that. Don't go down there. There's a killer or whatever it is waiting for you. Well, How I do mean, you balance that out? Yeah. Well, you, you, it has to do again. Go back to the to the to the cows in the field. If they recognize something as being immediately dangerous, uh -huh. they're not going to. They're not going to go explore it. They'll turn a tail and run. The the trick. Hmm is for the stimulus, whatever it is, to be ambiguous. And mm. so long as it's ambiguous enough, then we'll follow them down the corridor. Follow we'll down. follow them down the stairs. Yeah. So that's always the balance that you have to follow. If going someplace in the face of an obvious danger is always going to look stupid. Mm-hmm. But going somewhere to investigate a noise, we've seen that a hundred times. Hmm. If you just if you hear a noise in, downstairs in, in you know you're upstairs in bed, you hear a noise somewhere in the house. What are you going to do? You can't just call the police and say there's a noise in my house. You're not going to run out, you know, jump out the second floor window. You're not going to call the police because you hear a noise in the house. What are you going to do? You have to go and check it out somehow or other you've got to go down into that that dark floor down below or go down <laughs> into the base and figure out what the hell that noise is you know i mean if the noise if if you hear people downstairs and things being broken then you know you've got robbers downstairs yeah. then you can call the police or then you get out of the house but if it's just an ambiguous noise what are you going to do you got to go downstairs and figure it out and find out what it is. 
many That's, years. Yeah. 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 Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I couldn't help thinking of this when, when you told that as like many years ago, I was living in an apartment with my wife and we had two young daughters at the time. And so we we're laying in bed. All of a sudden, my wife kind of nudged. She goes, there's someone trying to climb in the window. <laughs> now, it wasn't the bedroom window, but uh, a window that we could see down the uh, edge of the house or the apartment or whatever. This is the, the kitchen window. I was like, no, there isn't. Go back to bed. She's like, no, 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 there's someone climbing in the window. And all of a sudden I heard that glass, some glass shatter. And I was like, holy cow, there's someone climbing in our window in this window. And so I was like, what do you do? You gotta do something, right? And so like I look around, I don't have like a baseball bat under my bed or a or a Glock hidden, you know, next to my bedstand. So I look around, the only thing on the floor is my daughter's Barbie doll. So like, there I am. It's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding this bar. Have you ever seen their, their legs are pretty stiff. Their feet are kind of sharp. And they're I'm pointy. I'm holding this <laughs> Barbie doll coming down. Like I'm armed calling out. I'm armed. I'm coming after you. Whatever. The guy ended up leaving. Whoever it was left. We weren't in any, you know, serious danger afterwards or whatever, but. But I'll never forget that feeling of like, I got to check this out. I don't have a weapon. I got a Barbie doll. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah it probably wouldn't have done a whole lot of whole yeah. lot of good. Um, as I was looking through your book, one of the things you talk about um, are urban legends. And yes. uh, urban legends, uh, for those people who might not be familiar with us, uh, kind of like those stories, a friend of a friend told me about, about this. And uh, I've always enjoyed those types of stories at campfires. So like I was telling my uncle, you tell us stories. Tell us a little bit about urban legends and how maybe why they're popular or how they can tie in, how we could tap into some of those fears as we might be writing stories of our own. Well, I mean... It- they're interesting on, on a number of fronts. First, of, of course, because they're always purported to be true, mm. um, but also because inevitably they tie into broadly held fears. Mm. A lot of times it has to do with fear of contamination, fear of foreigners, fear, again, fear of intrusion into mm. sacred safe spaces. Um, I'm sure you, I don't know. I'm sure you're familiar with the story of the licked hand mm-hmm. um, girl who's left alone at night and, and she's, but it's okay. You've got the, you've got this big dog under the bed. It's going to take care of you. And so she wakes up at night. She hears this, you know, but of course she hears the news. There's, there's a, a, a maniac loose in the neighborhood and she's, somehow you always hear that it's always interrupts TV <laughs> broadcast to tell you about this dangerous neighbor, you know, neighbor, maniac loose in the neighborhood. And she goes, she gets into bed and she hears this strange dripping sound coming from the adjoining bathroom, but she's afraid to, to go and check it out. But she reaches down and she feels that her dog licking her hand and she keeps waking up. Here's the dripping sound throughout the night. She just reaches down. She, she feels the dog licking her hand and then finally in the in the morning her parents come in and there's this sounds of upset and 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 anger and you know and and she and alarm and they come in and they they pull her out of out of bed 
And before she can, you know, before she's able to be taken out, she looks into the bathroom. And in the bathroom, hanging over the tub, is her dog strung Ooh. upside down, its throat cut, its blood is dripping into the tub. That's the sound of the dripping. And on the mirror written in blood is, dogs aren't the only thing that can lick. Yeah. Apparently, the, the maniac has, has been caught under the bed. I, uh, yeah, yeah. The way I heard it, of course, yeah, okay. it's always then, slightly different. There are variations, yes. Sure, yeah. No, when I was in sixth grade, I heard people can lick hands too i'll always remember yeah, yeah, that you know yeah, and so yeah yeah but it's crazy yeah these stories they're around and they'll be around for decades and decades like the the guy with the hook for the hand yes um you know up in lover's lane or you know the alligators in the sewers of uh you know new york city or whatever i don't know i guess it's an urban legend but sure um, <laughs> i don't think you've maybe checked that out you live yeah i have yeah, and alligators, of course, it's it's too cold in New York. Alligators can't survive here, but it's fine. Why yeah. not? <laughs> now, uh, um, so yeah, so these stories they circle around, they come back year after year in different forms. Um, are they warnings? Do you think to us because of these things that we might be uncomfortable with uh, messages um, somehow like that? I, I think. In some ways, they're warnings, but in this, there's there's something about scary stories. There's something about their horridness that we find unavoidably attractive. Hmm. That is, when when there's a horrible traffic accident, we don't speed up to avoid looking at it. We slow down because there's something about death and violence and dreadfulness that is weirdly attractive to us. Hmm. And I think there's something about these stories, the creepiness of them, the horridness of them that we find, uh, of, of course, it, it, the forbiddenness of them, the fact that like that Chihuahua that the woman brings up from Mexico, it turns out to be a dock rat. It's like, oh my God, she's been she's been cuddling with a with a rat. It's like, oh no. <laughs> it's like it's there's something about that grizzliness, that the kind of sickening forbiddenness of it that we find weirdly attractive. We're drawn to it. And that's to say, why well, why do people go to horror movies? <laughs> we're we're drawn to it. And we're drawn, and the way I describe it is that we are drawn to the sharp edges of life. Hmm. We're drawn sharp edges of life. I like that. Yeah. You know, we're drawn to dangerous scenarios. We're drawn to scary scenarios. Some people in, in actual life, this is why people jump out of airplanes, why people drive fast cars, why people go on, on dangerous adventures to bring them to those sharp edges of life, and why people do it through the surrogate of watching those things, reading books, watching movies, uh, because they're attracted to it. Um, we, we, are, we are thrilled by it. We, we want to experience those things, if only in surrogacy. Now, um, sometimes it's, it's interesting. I've seen some movies or, uh, and read some books, but um, that 
I guess what I would say are terrifying. And then there's a moment toward the end where you think, okay, things are resolved. Uh, it's kind of a, th it's a thriller. It had this ending where, but then there's like this resurrection of evil in the last few seconds of the movie or the, the last page of the book where you realize, no, the, the monster is still alive out there. The, the supernatural force has come back and, and, and you thought it was done, but it's really going to live on in the child that has just been born to the main character, whatever it might be. Yeah, sure. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think that's about? Is that something that we want the, our stories to have, or do we want them to have some sort of, you know, a uh, happy ending or closure? Well, I, I think, um, I mean, obviously on, on, in some sense, we want uh, a return to normality. Mm. Um, there's a, a craving for, um, for the the dark forces, the the forces of chaos to be banished, but there's also the suspicion that when that door is opened, it can never fully be closed. Hmm. And and of course, I think that that many of those stories, there is that that tension. I mean, this this expression of, of the forces of darkness and the forces of light or the forces of order and chaos or whatever is an embodiment of that struggle within the protagonist, that that's a war that's being fought. It's externally within the dramatic landscape of the story, but also internally within the, the main character hmm. that war is going on. And of course, on some level, there can be a victory in the sense of the external representation of that nemesis can be overcome. Mm -hmm. But internally, you can't ever completely banish that aspect of darkness from yourself. Mm. We, we, we consist of both the forces of light and darkness. And so the notion that you can somehow completely banish that, that aspect of darkness from your own persona that can never really happen hmm. you always we always carry all of those forces of both light and darkness within us and so when the story is saying you haven't really gotten rid of the forces yeah. of darkness not yeah. really it's still it's still here with us don't think that it's ever going away huh. it's is i mean and plus you, you can always have a sequel too kind of, <laughs> yeah so um yeah no kidding yeah um so in your in your book, you um, one of the secrets that you list is to build to the scare, continue to build and follow the release with another scare. Tell us about this process of building to a scare, continuing to build and following it with the release. What are you talking about in that aspect of the writing? Um, well, I mean, I, I can. I mean, if you've seen The Conjuring, yes. Uh huh. Um, Great, great example. That that's almost an encyclopedia on on how to on how to work scares. It's really extraordinarily well done. So you can talk about um, uh, when uh, Lily Taylor. It's Lily Taylor, right? Uh, I, think. I don't remember the names of the characters. It's, it's, yeah. it's, the, the actor is sorry. It's terrible. That's um, <laughs> okay. She, the, the the mom is is uh, she's hearing the uh, clapping. She's upstairs. Oh. And as she's coming downstairs, the, the pictures fall down. It's a big scare. 
comes down the stairs and starts to circle around the the basement door is closed when she starts she keeps hearing the claps so our tension is building mm-hmm. sense of sense of fear is building as she circles around she comes around elevator the, the basement door is now open she's she's no fool she's not just going to walk down those stairs right. as it's weird we say don't don't just go down the stairs yeah, that would yeah. be ridiculous so she she opens the basement door she can hear that kind of off tune piano play oh, down yeah. the stairs so she knows oh she's not going to just go down those stairs <laughs> so so she leans in, she opens the door she leans in she says i'm gonna lock you down here bang cellar door slams sends her pitching head over head mm. heel down into the stairs down to the bottom of the basement so she crawls up she's all battered and banged up you know cell is lit by the single hanging bulb up above <laughs> and, and the ball comes bouncing out from the from the darkness i guess. in the darkness yeah and she says i'm done <laughs> i'm getting out of here and as she starts scrambling up the stairs what happens bam the light bulb explodes so she's left now in complete darkness and for a minute we're in darkness all we can do is hear the sound of her scrambling up the stairs hmm. scrabbling for matches she's at the top of the stairs the doors slam shut and she's holding the matches out with a trembling hand looking down where's she looking she's looking down the stairs where she just saw that ball match burns out <laughs> all the time the scare is building where's our attention our attention is aimed toward the bottom of the stairs where she, we just saw that we heard the piano playing we just saw the ball coming out ball burst another you know fumbling you know, our hands are trembling as the match goes fumbles for another match lights the other match just leaning it forward looking down the stairs and the hands come out from behind her shoulder clap right behind her face <laughs> and next thing you know she's screaming and along comes you know we, we are, her husband is driving up but it's like in terms of building on a scare building on a scare building on a scare building on a scare and paying off the final scare with a hand clapping right behind her face that's that's extraordinarily well constructed sequence of scares starting with the collapsing of the pictures which by the way her daughters certainly should have heard up at the top of the stairs they don't they, they they're completely unaware of all of that but it's okay because movies play with time and space that way hmm. all the time and nobody nobody ever notices that's why nobody minds the fact that we're in, in jurassic park where that goat used to be staked out you know 20 seconds later there's now a cliff that goes down like 150 feet you know, nobody nobody's bothered by that at all you know, they don't they don't care you know well i know chad and carrie uh hayes uh, who wrote the conjuring and yeah. so i'll be certain to uh you yeah. know pass along to them i i loved the movie and i love it as an example of talking about fear and dread so yeah it, it uh it, it really is i i think it's one of the the best horror movies of the last decade I, yeah. it's just it's just extraordinarily well done 
Now, do you, when you think about stories and, and writing and so on, do you think of a difference between building a sense of dread and suspense? Like, do you look at horror maybe and suspense as being different in the way that you construct them as a writer, or don't you really worry about that differentiation? Um, I mean, when you're, when you're thinking about horror, again, you're focused on creating that sense of dread, that sense of the penetration of the natural by the abnormal. Hmm. You don't necessarily, you're not necessarily looking at that um, when you're looking at, at straight suspense. Hmm. Um, you can, you can um, create a, a suspenseful sequence just with, with what, what you'd call ratcheting. Um, uh, you know, if, if some, you, you can do, um, you can have an, an enormously effective suspense sequence with um, a guy with a broken leg and uh, a flight of stairs. So long as he's got to get up to the top of that stairs, that's that that can be enormously suspenseful. Hmm. Um, or or I, what what works with suspense is time and distance and obstacles hmm. um and how you how you juggle those and and often jog creating an effective geography but it's it's that that suspense has to do with that sense of urgency hmm. um and not not necessarily uh dread it's not an it's not an, an element i mean suspense can obviously be an element in, in crafting uh in crafting a horror sequence but the the reverse isn't the true isn't necessarily true you don't necessarily need those elements of of horror in crafting a suspense sequence i, I mean i i don't think so yeah yeah i mean over the years, as I've written suspense novels, I've found moments where I feel like I'm touching into horror. I wouldn't say I'm a horror writer, but there are some moments where, yes, where it's horrific, what happens. And, and so I've often thought about what is the difference? Because I love horror movies. And, um, and so I, actually, in my mind, suspense is apprehension born of concern. When we're concerned about a character and they're in some sort of peril, we feel that apprehension. and. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example of uh, recent, one of the recent Mission Impossible movies uh -huh. where Tom Cruise has to go down into that in that submerged situation, has to hold his breath and get in this key and kind of do something. And as he die, as he takes this breath and dives into this thing because he can't have he has to just hold his breath because of bibbity bobbity boo whatever it is. <laughs> and as soon as he dives, it's like once he dives we're holding our breath right mm -hmm. along with him yeah and he dies he's going through this thing and we're holding his breath and he drops the key <laughs> and there's, there's this this stupid wand that's flinging around we're in this this donut shaped thing and it like catches him and flings him around and like he drops the key and he's got to get the key back and meanwhile he's holding his breath he's holding his breath he's holding his breath he's holding his breath and he's got to get find the thing and push the thing in and substitute the thing he's holding his breath and, he's holding, <laughs> and we're and we're holding our breath and we're holding our breath and we're holding our breath 
and and this thing is going whoosh and it's going whoosh and it's going whoosh and then and finally gets the thing in he's substituting whatever it is and it's like he's it's like and it's like there's this thing that's like mar it's like indicating his heartbeat mm. this little yeah it's like so he knows it's like he's dying and like literally just as he gets the thing in and it's like his heart stops along comes the girl that grabs him and and, and grabs him to safety and saves mm. his life it gets him out just in in time but it's just it's the, the suspense is yeah. is incredible mm. and it, and it's like all this again it's it's time it's urgency mm. and it's that the ticking clock yeah. literally that that marks his heartbeat in this situation where we know it's like oh my god <laughs> and we're and and the element of him not being able to breathe and us kind of not breathing along with him makes it's it incredibly true, isn't effective. It? We, do. we yeah. hold our breath like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. So, no, that's so. yeah, interesting. Um, so talk for a second about the mirror scare. Okay. Here's what I mean. If people are listening, do you ever see these movies wherever someone's in the, in the washroom, the bathroom, and there's a mirror in front of them, right? And all yeah. of a sudden, they open the thing to get their teeth paste out or whatever. Someone, and someone's just reflected in the mirror. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, sure. And they close in. Someone's uh, behind them in the mirror. Like that's been seems to be done it's, so it's, much. It's, that now it's, it's, it's it's done a lot. Yeah. Um. There. I mean, I. I I go over all of the different ways that 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 you can do a jump scare. The the reflection in the mirror is one of them. The camera moves another one. Someone someone steps out of the way and there's someone behind them, or you step out of the way and someone's behind you. It's just there. <laughs> there are just there are just so many myriad ways that you can do a jump scare. It, they 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 are endless. Um, and you know what? They all work. They all work because it's it's strictly physiological we the same way that if you put if you if you just if it's quiet and quiet and quiet and then you have a really loud noise <laughs> everyone will everyone will jump and say wow that really worked of course it worked of course it worked it's always going to work it didn't make, it doesn't make any difference if it's a musical comedy or a drama or anything if you have a really loud noise you're going to get everyone to jump with a, yeah it's a startle response so it's always it's always going to work the question is that doesn't is it always right hmm. do you do you want that kind of moment in that particular place in your story um I mean, it's 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 the same with with what kind you, know, you can always put in something that will make an audience laugh, but is it the right kind of joke? In the mm. is it is it consistent with the tone of the story? And where do you where do you want them to laugh? And how do you want them to laugh? And where do you want a scare to go? And what kind of scare do you want? And that's that's really the question that you mm. have to ask. Um, so um the mirrored business has been done so much that now it's almost like people do the opposite to like in other words like we're expecting it now when she's yeah. in the bathroom we're like oh, i know there's someone behind her she closes it there's a, there's no one behind her oh okay well yeah. that's good then yeah. she, she turns and walks yeah. in the other room there's someone yeah, like, yeah. Oh, wait a minute because yeah. <laughs> it, it has yeah. to do with our expectations yeah. so much doesn't it 
Yeah, of course. And, yeah. you know, as with, as with anything, audience members bring all of their awareness of the genre and of movie conventions, which change over the years mm. into, into every movie that they see. Um, so, um, you know, you, you, they, they did that really wonderful uh, plot structure twist in Arrival. Um, you, you, you know what I'm talking about? Where they, mm-hmm. where we, 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 we think that the what we think is past actually turns out to be the future. Yeah. Um, and then they did the same thing in a movie called I believe it was called Destroyer. Hmm. Uh, um, which you may or not, you know, which was not a bad movie, hmm. but you you realized you suddenly realized oh they're doing that same thing that they did in arrival where what we think uh, is happening in the past is actually the future and it's like oh been there sorry been there yeah, done that yeah uh, it's like you can't uh, you can't get away with that a second time it's uh, like it's so it's so unique to the structure of arrival that kind of pulling that twist a second time in a different context it all it already feels used hmm. No, that's, yeah, that's fascinating. Now, so in your book, you actually talk through different types of uh, reasons that we're afraid, different ways to spark that fear. Talk, talk for a moment just about the broad sort of scope of, of a story and, and not just like a moment of trying to, you know, get someone unsettled with a moment of dread or, or fear. But how do we actually tell sweeping stories, whether they're novels or whether we're writing our our own screenplays and so on, where we can build up in an effective way and use some of these tools to tell a story that's deeply frightening or uh, I don't know about troubling or disturbing. I mean, some things can just be disturbing just because they're taboo and that doesn't necessarily make them frightening. But what what are your thoughts about the broad sweep of, of a story? Well, I, I think the question is, is you, as with anything else, you can always just stick scares in the same way mm-hmm. you can stick jokes in, but you also have to look broadly at, at the situation, at, at the fundamental tension at the heart of, uh, of your characters, um, at the heart of your protagonist. And is that, is that something is that tension, that internal tension, something that's going to be something that is going to be externalized in a dramatic landscape that is appropriate for exploring that emotion of dread? Hmm. I mean, in the same way, there are, there are going to be stories that make sense exploring, that to be explored comedically mm-hmm. or to be explored in the sense of uh, romantically and there are going to be a lot of stories that that are going to be appropriate for exploring through the medium of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you if you're telling a story about someone who who is obsessed with death or with bringing the dead back to life, you know, could, could be a comedy or could be a love story, but more mm-hmm. likely, good 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 fodder for a horror movie, mm-hmm. um, or. Anything that has to do with with the violation of taboos, mm. um, whatever that might be, whether it's it's religious taboos or even sexual taboos, 
or moral taboos, anything, again, because dread has to do with the penetration of those forbidden things. So yeah, you could, so even a story about a voyeur, a voyeur, voyeur, how it's pronounced, mm -hmm. um, could, could easily be a story about someone who sees something that he shouldn't see. Mm-hmm. And that draws him into something that is deeply disturbing and horrifying. That could easily be the basis of a horror movie. Um, and again, stories of the supernatural lend themselves to horror because the supernatural itself, not always, but usually involve the, the you know, it's, it's the penetration of the natural world, the natural order of things by something that is unnatural stories about madness. Hmm. It's, it's the story of like, what, what are one of the things that we most trust? We trust our own selves. Hmm. And so if, if, if our selves are undermined, if we can't even trust who we are or, or ourselves or whether the world is what it really is, that is deeply disturbing. I'm not saying that you can't tell a story about mental illness that is not, that's not horrifying. It can obviously be tragic as well. Sure. But in terms of a fodder for a horrifying story, that could certainly be, uh, the element of dread can certainly be at the heart of a story of that kind. So you, you, look, you look to the fundamental issues of, of your story. Um, you know, if you want to tell a story, you know, you could tell a story about the dead that come, comes back to life and it can be a light comedy. There have been, you know, Topper, a ghost story can be funny. Hmm. If, you, if the story you're telling is Topper, it could be a story about manners or, you know, uh, there have been funny ghost stories. Hmm. But generally, uh, stories about uh, the dead returning, it, it's a natural fit for a horror story. Yeah. Yeah, um, because generally the dead stay dead when they don't. <laughs> something something is usually wrong. Um, so it's so it's 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 a good fit. Um, so, you know, so so usually the the emotional tone, the fundamental emotion of a story, whether it's it's humorous or sentimental or exciting, is is usually pretty obvious. Um, we can tell just from the, the 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 dramatic landscape that we're exploring what what the defining emotion is that we're mm. also going to be exploring. I think it, it it's usually uh, it's usually pretty clear what kind of story we're telling. And I and in the same way, I think people who people have a kind of radar for the kinds of stories that like you know you can you can tell whether they're you know if the kind of stories you tell are funny stories you have your radar open for stories that are likely to be funny and if, mm. if the kind of stories you tell are scary stories your radar is up for stories that are, are potentially scary stories um or if, if if you if you love action stories this is this this would make a great action story or if it's just straight drama you see stories that have great dramatic potential. You, you just, your radar is set to, to, to detect those or just ideas keep kind of percolating through your brain. Say, hey, that would be a great scary story or that would be a great, that would be a great comedy story hmm. or whatever. 
Yeah, I, I remember that um, when I was working on one of my novels, The Rook, I was thinking, what's the most terrifying thing that I could think to happen to me? I thought, what if I was chained to the bottom of a pool and I know it's filling with water? Someone's filming me and it's going to fill with water and I can't escape. So I ran upstairs. I was working in my basement, said to my wife, I'm going to abduct this woman, chain her to the bottom of a pool, slowly fill it with water while I live stream it on the internet. My wife's staring at me. She goes, is this for your book? I'm thinking, um, it's really frightening that you have to ask me if it is for my book. But yes, yes, it is. It's just for my book. So, so in the Rook, uh, there's, there's that scene in the story where I told that to my wife. So, well, my guest today has been uh, Neil Marshall Stevens. And Neil, I just want to say thanks for taking the time to talk to me a little bit today about fear and a sense of dread in your upcoming book. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much. Um, I'd like people to check out your book. I know it's available for pre-order now. It comes out in the spring. Um, and I think they can probably pre-order that on any online bookstore. Are, do you have any online presence or social media um, you know, presence that uh, you would love for readers or, or potential maybe readers to, uh, to check out, to follow you or to hear more news about your book? Uh, well, I'm, I'm actually setting up a website right now, but that should be, that should be up and running within the next month or so. So I'm not, I'm terrible at that sort of thing, but my, <laughs> my, my editors, my editors tell me that I should do it. So I'm, I'm getting something set up and hopefully that that'll be up and running in the next month or so. Okay. Well, yeah, no, that's great. And so the book again is the sense of dread getting under the skin of horror screenwriting by Neil Marshall Stevens. And uh, this is a great uh, season to go out and check out a scary movie. And if you are a writer, uh, work on uh, a new novel or a new screenplay, this is a great time of year to do that. I know many people write in the month of November. And so, as I mentioned earlier, the Story Blender is honored to be one of the sponsors of a premier fiction writing intensive on November 5 and 6 here 2021. Um, there are even some uh, still a few 10-page um, critiques that are available. So you can check that all out on fictionintensive.com. For more information about our guests and to check out our other interviews, search for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, or click to thestoryblender.com. Don't forget to like us and, subscri uh, and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts on Friday evenings. So tell your stories well, and always remember, the art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time.